Let's see. While doing her dissertation research, Nancy con was, became convinced of the value of rational thinking, uh, and she had many mystical experiences while singing chants, uh, and that surprised her and made her reconsider whether rationality was the sole path to personal insight. Uh, she says as a singer, composer, and performer, she's used this insight as well as her improvisational abilities, intuition, and sensitivity on stage and off. Uh, moving from the rational to the intuitive in her life, she's learned how to make the world her oracle and can teach her audiences how. And we hope she's going to do that with you guys out there right now. Uh, her work is rooted in ritual, story, and song, as well as in feminist theology and women's studies scholarship. And uh, as a Ph.D., she owned her skills in the emerging field of women's studies in the 70s and 80s, uh, evolving an empowering leadership and teaching style that she uses in her retreats and workshops today. She believes her ongoing research about myth and divination is accessible and inviting and that her workshops are playful and fun. So, uh, as we can see, she has been dedicated to this for a long time, and she brings to it uh, a lot of wisdom and uh, experience and knowledge from a lot of different sources. Uh, so, Nancy, uh, welcome, welcome to Voices of the Sacred Feminine. Thank you for having me, Karen. Well, I'm, I'm definitely glad to have you, and as I said in the opening, I think this is, uh, you know, maybe you're breaking new ground here um, with this in, in some sense, um, do you think? I think that it's true in, in a sense for us here in the United States, this is breaking new ground, but actually what I've compiled in my book, are, some of these are ancient, ancient techniques, many of them are from indigenous people who've been doing this for at least centuries, if not millennia. And so in some ways, it's, it is something new for us within the goddess community, but I think it's not new when it comes to people around the world. Yeah, I, I know what you mean. And, you know, unfortunately, when, um, uh, you know, for, for too many people in the West, you know, when it's done by an indigenous culture, unfortunately, sometimes it's overlooked or marginalized. Uh, and Absolutely. then suddenly we discover, we discover it in the West, and now it's, uh, it's something of value, you know, because now we have it in our toolkit. So, um, yeah, I get what you're saying, and that's really important. So um, speaking of importance, um, I mean, uh, if for someone who's maybe not delved into doing something like this, um, why do you think it's important that we use divination techniques today? Well, we live in very confusing times, and I think that's gotten only worse in the last eight or nine months. But life is very volatile and it changes happening quite rapidly and every day we seem to be bombarded with advertising messages and expert advice and campaign promises and all sorts of other kinds of opinions so sometimes it's really hard for us to hear ourselves think and I think it's important especially when we're dealing with personal matters to tap into our own inner wisdom and actually, um, if you want a, a, an expert on this, Apple CEO and co-founder Steve Jobs called um, the whisperings of intuition what we really need to be listening to. And he's not the only one. A, a lot of creativity folks, and even recently there was a gathering of 1,500 corporate CEOs from around the world who identified these types of creative insights as the best way, the best strategy for dealing with a world that's very volatile and uncertain and complex. So I think it's important for us to really tap into our own inner expertise and sometimes that's difficult when our analytical, everyday, ordinary thinking mind comes, keeps coming up with the same old, same old answers that haven't worked. That's when we need to set aside our mental box and start using these techniques to tap into out-of-the-box thinking. And uh, that's exactly what these techniques do. They help us to tap into our own unconscious, our inner wisdom. So okay. I think that's a well. No, go, go ahead. ahead. Finish. 
No, that's that's about what I was going to say. Well, um, and and uh, and I think what you're, uh, you know, this is this is definitely important. But what would you say to someone who says, "Okay, I hear you, I believe you, I want to maybe do that, but how do I trust that inner voice? You know, um, how do you know how do we start to 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 listen and follow uh, those instincts? Because after all, um, you know, how do we know that we know best? Well, I actually the song that comes to mind when you say that is an old feminist song from back in the 70s by Alex Dobkin and she says, "The woman in your life knows simply what is true to comfort you and calm you down and let you rest now. The woman in your life, she can rest so easily. She knows everything you do." Because the woman in your life is you. And I I personally believe that we are the ones who know best. But it's oftentimes overlayered with um, a kind of education that makes, makes us believe that we have to listen to experts, that we have to go outside of ourselves to find answers. Whereas I think that in truth especially in these very confusing times, and especially when we're stumped. We need to tap into that inner wisdom because what science is now showing us is that the unconscious has a lot more wisdom and expertise than our conscious minds. So if we just tap into what we know within, we will come up with what we need. And it is just a matter of trusting and learning to trust. And I think you're right about that, Karen. It's a practice. The more you do of these kinds of techniques, the more that you practice divination, the more you realize that your inner knowing is what knows best, your inner wisdom, your unconscious. So I think it is a, a practice. Uh, well, and, and you know, and it's and hearing you say that, I'm reminded uh, of uh, the the tarot class I was just taking recently. And you know, most of us were were beginners. You know, we had really just picked up the cards uh, for you know more or less the first time to actually maybe do a reading for someone else. I mean, you know, who hasn't picked up the cards and tried to uh, say, well, what does the card tell me today? I mean, you know, I'm sure we've all done that, but to actually try to do a reading for someone else. And it was really uncanny how we were actually able to do it uh, because this was a class that was just on the major arcana. We hadn't even gotten to the minor arcana yet. But just using the major arcana, we were actually able to eke out some pretty uh, you know, accurate readings, and right. we surprised ourselves. You know, we surprised right. ourselves if we just sort of, you know, didn't hold back, just trusted ourselves, went with that first thought that popped into our head. Um, but, you know, that's not it's, always easy. You know, uh, no, we're afraid. Not. You know, especially if it's an important subject, you know, maybe you have a lot riding on it or something like that. Um, uh, I I wonder if in the book you talk uh, about learning to trust yourself or maybe taking baby steps so that you can build up your confidence. Well, the way I did approach this is to talk about how to prepare yourself for a divination because I think you're absolutely right. Anxiety gets in the way. And so there are several steps that you can take to let go of the anxiety that keeps you from tapping into your inner wisdom. Science actually shows now that anxiety keeps us in our mental box. So the first step in any divination is to let go of that kind of anxiety. And The one thing that's really important to do before every divination is to ground and center because that brings us from that anxious place which has made it necessary to do some sort of divination to a place of at least inner tranquility. What science shows is that tranquility, joy, happiness, all of those positive emotions make it easier for us for us to come up with new ideas about problems that we're we're, um, coming up against. 
And so that's one of the things that I suggest that you do every time before you do a divination. But if it's a really big divination, there's a whole bunch of other things that you can do, ritual kinds of things that will prepare you. You can purify the space in which you're going to do the divination. You can create sacred space in lots of different ways. You could you know, surround the place where you're going to divine with little pebbles or blow bubbles around the circumference of that area or literally take a pair of scissors and carve out a space that is separate from your everyday ordinary space and say, this is sacred space. This is where I'm going to do my divination. You can ask for guidance. You can ask your guides to come in to help you, your teachers, your guides, any goddesses or elementals, perhaps animal spirits or plant spirits, maybe an ancestor to help you in the div- divination process. And then, okay. to, yeah, and then you ground and center and ask that question, and you're in a much better place to trust what comes. In my class, I'm teaching a class on the book right now, and some of the divination techniques in the book are similar to tarot in that they're insight triggers. It actually, what insight triggers do is that you bring another image, another idea, another thought, another feeling, and through that filter you look at the question which has been stumping you. And we did a book divination, which is a very simple divination. All you do is open up a book and point your finger to a a text, and that's your divination. And the woman was asking whether or not she should take the job, which she has been feeling she didn't really want to take, but, you know, it's the next step in her career, and people expect her to do this. And the, the book was unbelievably straightforward said do not take any job that you really don't want to take i mean it literally said that <laughs> that's so funny um you it know is. in class the other in class the other night you know i was uh my the, one of my questions came up uh am i going to be happy in the place that i'm considering retiring and uh, I forget which card it was now because, you know, I, again, I don't have all the cards committed to memory yet. But the card that came up was, you're very afraid you're going to feel stuck when you get there. And if that, I mean, and if that wasn't the truth, you know, it, it really sort of just, it, it just blew me away. Of all the things, you know, the girl who was reading for me could have said, you know, she hit it right on the head, you know, with exactly. like a, a hammer on a nail. It was funny. Exactly. Um, so, so Nancy, um, you said that you, uh, we go within to get this divine guidance. Uh, do you think, um, we're tapping into more than just, you know, our, um, you know, uh, uh, us here, whatever that is. I mean, do you, do you think though that we're actually tapping into us? that is maybe connected to uh, the cosmic field out there, the Akashic record, you know, whatever it is we uh, think or suspect might be out there that we're connected to. Um, or, you know, just, you know, just, just kind of picking your brain there. You know, it, does it go beyond just us and our bag of bones and water here? <laughs> well, I, in the book itself, I don't take a perspective or tell people what they should believe about this. I think it's very personal. If someone thinks that they're tapping into the wellspring of all of their accumulated wisdom over their lifetime and that's all, that's fine. If they think they're tapping into the goddess, which is what I personally believe, I believe I'm tapping into the interdependent web of all existence of which I'm a part, and I call her the goddess. I think that that works for me. If you, if someone else were a Christian and came to use my book and thought that they were tapping into the wisdom of a saint or their angel guide or God, um, the personal god of Christianity or Judaism or Islam, that's fine too. I, I don't try to tell people what to believe. I just know these techniques work. And, if, and I think that we all 
interpolate them into our own belief systems in a variety of ways. But personally, okay. I think it is the goddess. Okay. Um, so now you call this new book, which is the name of our show tonight, uh, the the world uh, the world is your oracle. Uh, oracle, um, and your the subtitle I believe is divinatory practices for tapping into your inner wisdom on getting the answers you need. That's a mouthful, but you know it gives <laughs> uh, you know people people definitely know what they're buying. Um, so right. so why did you um, call this book? The World is Your Oracle. Yes, I gave the title to the book, The World is Your Oracle. My editor added the subtitle uh, about the (laughs) divinatory practices and the answers you need, and I agree with you, it's very long. I called it The World is Your Oracle because I think divination taps people into what I call the matrix or the interdependent web of all existence, which is the world, and it taps you in either externally or internally by using, in my book, by using your senses. So, for instance, you can notice something, you can ask a question and then notice something outside of yourself, whether it's something you see, something you hear, or something that you feel. And that can bring you from the world, those things that you're noticing, to a greater um, wisdom as an insight trigger. That's when you use the world as your oracle externally. Internally, we we are these really amazing little cosmoses. I don't know what the plural of that word is. But each of us is a universe internally as well. And when we turn our sights internally and use either our internal vision, our internal hearing, or our internal kinesthetic knowing, we also can divine that way. So our senses are what we use to experience the world, whether it's either externally or internally. So that's why I call it the world is your oracle. And I also think, go ahead. Well, I was going about to, to say, you know, well, you um, you sent an, sent me an essay that I believe is uh, yes. going to be in the the upcoming anthology, and I think in that essay you talked about I think a flock of birds, wasn't it? That it's been a while since I read it, so I'm sorry if I'm foggy, but I think it was a flock of birds or something on the you know something that was out in the world that exactly. sort of was, gave you an com- answer to your question. Yeah, go ahead. Right. Well, Tell what happened? That. that was a fun divination. I I knew I was going to write for your anthology about divination, but I hadn't yet decided exactly how I wanted to write it. And we were out um, at the Painted Rock National Park on the north side of Lake Superior, and we were driving back to Madison, Wisconsin, where I live. And so... As we got into the car, I said literally out loud, someone's writing in the sky again. And I heard myself saying it because the the clouds really look like writing. And so what I decided then and there, having seen that in the sky, was that I was going to use my eyes and divine what I wanted to say in the article. And so what happened was I watched, and all the the road signs that came along, I go, oh, yes, I can write about that. Oh, yes, I should tell that story. It was really quite remarkable. Each one of the signs triggered within me an idea for the, the article, and by the time we got home, I not only had an outline but a lot of the particular paragraphs that I wanted to write. It was so much fun. It's it's really funny. Um, You know, it reminds me of that saying, uh, when the student's ready, the the teacher appears. Um, You know, I I know when I was writing uh, my Sacred Places book, and it, it, it never seemed to fail that whenever I was shifting to a new part of the world that I was going to have to include in the book, and I maybe needed some additional information to sort of, 
you know, fill in some of the gaps, I would I would stumble over it. You know, I mean, I would I would fall fall across an archaeology magazine at the bookstore, or you know, something always popped up. I mean, it, it's it's really amazing, you know, the way these things happen. Yeah, I um, agree. So um, and that's so, so that's let me sort of. You. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was just thinking synchronicities, for me, are sort of the um, unplanned arrival of a divination that you didn't know you were doing. You know, that's what a synchronicity mm-hmm. is. It's it's sort of a spontaneous divination when the world just offers you information rather than you asking the world to give you information. Yeah. And, you know, and unfortunately, we live in a world that tells us to kind of disregard that, you know, just, mm-hmm. uh, oh, it's just a, a silly little coincidence. Um, but I, I tend to think, um, I don't know, you know, maybe I'm getting too conspiratorial uh, in my old age. But, you know, I, I, but I guess, you know, coming, from, you know, from women's studies and coming from this this place where, you know, I, it, it appalls me that I could have grown grown up my entire life, never knowing about goddess, never knowing about herstory, um, you know, I stumbled onto it, you know, when uh, I moved to California. If I had stayed in the South, I wonder if it would ever have become such a prevalent part of my life. And where I'm going with this is, you know, it's this idea that there's so much out there that can enhance our life, you know, whether it be knowledge, whether it be practices like this and it's almost as if you know and they and these are things that empower us and it feels like there's there's a concerted effort and i don't know if it's conscious or unconscious or both but there's a concerted effort to keep us from knowing this history knowing these uh practices that that help us be uh, more authentic, be more powerful, more confident, and I, you know, I guess it just pisses me off. <laughs> yes, uh, you know, and it pisses it, it me off It feels like it's too. a conspiracy. You know? Well, um, and I think Karen, you may be right in part. For some people, it really is a, a definite um, theoretical underpinning of the way they see the world. That knowledge should be top down. Only some people have that expertise. We should only be listening to those people. And um, there, and when it comes to male-female relations, of course those people are male, not female. And those, we should be good little girls and not open our minds or our mouths when it comes to coming up with our own understandings of the way the world works. So I think that it's partly... There are some people who very definitely believe that that's the way things should be. And when you have a monotheistic tradition, which is what our, we have a Christian, Christocentric culture here in the United States, what happens is that when you have one God and one truth, then there's only one way to understand that truth. And so it has to be a matter of those experts telling you what the one way is. And, of course, we within the goddess movement know that there are many goddesses and that there are many different roots to truth. Truth may be one, but the roots are many. And within Hinduism, which I, I find very interesting as a religion, they believe that if anything is important, it has to be multiple Whereas we, in our Christocentric tradition, really believe that if something's important, it has to be one and only one. So I think that (laughs) we're starting to move around that and understand that life is actually a heck of a lot more complicated than just this one truth and one way. Yeah, you remind me of some of the women I've had on my show from the Quiverful Movement, or they've escaped evangelical Christianity or some sort of thing like that. And, you know, they'd be taught, you know, they couldn't do yoga or meditation because if they open their mind to this, you know, greater consciousness out there, the devil may fill it, you know. Exactly. Um, Okay. 
All right, well, we're going to take just a quick break uh, while we hear from Joe Carson. And uh, when I come back, Nancy, I want to ask you um, uh, more about the science uh, and divination chapter in your book. But also, you know, we're at this time of the year when the veil is thin, and Mm -hmm. I wonder if that maybe gives us, um, you know, some extra uh, extra edge uh, to do any of this. Uh, so why don't you be thinking about that while we hear from Joe? Okay. Most people see humankind as really separate from nature and separate from the earth. I'm as much of this earth as a rock or a tree is. And I came out of this. This, this is my mother planet. I grew out of this earth. As long as we conceive of divinity as above us or outside of us, or that our bodies are somehow less divine than spirit, there's no way that we can change our course. Well, you were just listening to the trailer for Dancing with Gaia, Joe Carson's feature-length documentary film. In it, she interviews 15 visionaries and teachers about earth energy, sacred sexuality, and the return of goddess as Gaia. Joe traveled to ancient sacred sites all over Europe and the Mediterranean to shoot this film. These spiritual sites from northern Scotland to central Turkey profoundly affected the origins of Western culture. If you've always wanted to see them yourself but haven't, this is an opportunity to experience some of the best ones and get their story. The DVD comes packaged with a 45-page color mini-book, which goes even deeper into the material. And you can get the DVD and the booklet for only $20. And to do that, you just go to her website, dancingwithgaia.com, dancingwithgaia.com. And uh, toward the end of the show, uh, I want to share with you a little bit more about uh, Joe's more recent book, Celebrate Wildness, uh, and the Ferifaria tradition. So um, you'll hear about that uh, when I finish my conversation with Nancy. Um, So, Nancy, uh, Samhain is around the corner. Um, This this time of the year when the veil is thinner, uh, do you think that makes any difference you know, when you're doing this sort of divination using the census? Well, I think that it's a very good time to do divination because the veil is thinner. That's my personal belief as well. Um, I don't think that, for instance, next week um, when I teach this class, I'm going to be teaching the class on Samhain. And so we're going to do an ancestor's divination, which is absolutely appropriate for this time of year because during Samhain, of course, the reason the veils are thinner is because it was a celebration of death and dying and rebirth. And so getting in touch with those uh, in our lineage who have gone before us is exactly what our European ancestors did at this time of year, whether it was putting a plate at the Samhain table for grandma so-and-so to come and join us, or whether it was actually doing a divination, asking the ancestors what they think about some issue in your life. So we will be doing that next week, and I'm looking forward to it, because not all of the people in my class have may um, be exactly um, as pagan as I am, but they're going to enjoy doing this pagan rite. Well, they may find out they're more pagan than they thought. (laughs) Exactly. Um, Okay, so you have a chapter in the book on uh, science and divination. Um, Tell us a little bit about that. Well, this was really fun for me, and actually it didn't start out to be a good thing. I had finished the book completely, and I was ready to send it out to literary agents And um, eventually I did that, and she found two publishers, one of which we went with. But my husband came along and said, you've got to read this book. And I said, no, no, I'm finished. I don't want to look at anything more. It's done. And he said, no, you have to read this. It's about how aha moments happen in the brain. So it's a book that looked at the last 15 years of brain imaging 
and showed that <clears throat> an aha moment happens when you have something called a brain blink. You have to flood the back of the brain with alpha waves, and what this does is that it shuts down mostly your visual input um, for a, a while, a brain blink. And it's essentially like what happens if I asked you a very difficult question, you might close your eyes or look to the side so that looking at my face might not distract you from the question. So you could put your whole attention on it. The brain does the same thing. It shuts down these external inputs so that it can come up with a new idea. And when that happens, it, it's a flash of insight directly over the right ear in the right temporal brain. And the reason it happens there is because the right temporal lobe has more access, has access to many more associations than the left um, temporal lobe does. The left temporal lobe is where we essentially live in the box, in our mental box, whereas the right temporal lobe has a lot more associations, and so you can come up with a new idea. And what I realized reading this book is that's exactly what happens with these divinations. They facilitate that kind of new, out-of-the-box thinking. Some of them use alpha waves when you um, have a meditative state. That will flood the back of your brain with alpha waves. Or when you're euphoric or ecstatic from dancing or singing, or when you have brainwave entrainment, when you're drumming. All of these flood the back of the brain with alpha waves, which allows your mind to have this brain blink and come up with a new idea. So I was absolutely fascinated by this and wrote, said, okay, I'll write a chapter on the science. And there are several other indications of how... Like, for instance, I already talked about how it's important to get out of your um, anxious feeling mode into something that is more tranquil in order to come up with a new idea. So those are some of the other things that I learned from this book. So essentially what I did was write a chapter on the science of divination, and uh, I think it's very interesting. And for me it wasn't essential because I already knew that techniques that have existed for centuries or maybe even millennia probably worked, but it's really nice to have science finally affirming the fact that these techniques have a reason for working. Right. And it makes well, it available yes, I, I, to more people. Yeah, it makes I it think possible. so. Uh, yeah. It, yeah, it takes the woo-woo out of it, you know. Exactly. Um, and, exactly. And, then, and then maybe people who... Um, uh, I don't know, you know, maybe people you might want to open their minds a little bit, you know, they, they might be willing to consider it if they think there's uh, some basis in, uh, in scientific theory. And Well, and as you were describing uh, what you just did, you know, how the brain is flooded and I can't repeat it all, um, it reminded me of um, trance work. You know, uh -huh. uh, yes. a bit too. It, it it sounds like it's it's all really sort of related uh, because we yes. know when we uh, sort of do those same things to try to induce some sort of sacred trance and maybe get messages. Um, I don't know. I guess it's all sort of the same thing in a way. Yes. In fact, one of the things that I had to do in, in the editing of this book is to tell people what a trance was, because that's exactly what we're talking about. Whether it's a, a trance of euphoria because you're dancing ecstatically, or a trance that's meditative, or a trance that comes from brainwave entrainment, trance is actually the technical term, if you will, for when these alpha waves flood the back of the brain. Okay. Well, and, and again, you know, you're making me think about so many things. I'm thinking about the Yoruban folks 
and I guess maybe Ken Doble and all it. I don't know. I should, probably shouldn't lump them all together. But you think about how they, uh, the practitioners allow the Loa or God, Goddess, to ride them, and they right. go into this trance. And, you know, for some people that's, um, you know, I guess that's, uh, the best possible thing, but that would just kind of scare the heck out of other people. But but right. it's all sort of this this same kind of state, um, you know, that that you're entering into. You know, we're just I don't know using it differently, uh, language in it differently, interpreting it differently. But uh, maybe it all sort of channels to and from the same place. I think it's related, definitely. I agree with you. Yeah. Um, So now um, you said you used a lot of different oracles uh, types uh, in your book. Did you want to talk a little bit about those? And and if you had a favorite, uh, share that with us. (laughs) Sure. Well, the way I set up the book was to divide the oracles into three different types, visual oracles, auditory oracles, and kinesthetic oracles. And people actually are attracted to one of these more than the other. Um, So you can figure that out by doing a bunch of the different divinations, and, and then you'll realize, oh, I'm auditory. I really... I am auditory. My favorite divination is to go down to the lake and listen to the waves. And it's it's not that the lake talks to me, although I can use that language to speak about what happens. It's more that I I love the sound of water. I love being next to water. I love water and the the sound of the water I love and it lulls me into this place where there are alpha waves in the back of my brain and where I start hearing the waves sounding like words and then phrases and then eventually I start hearing the answer to the question that I'm asking. So I love auditory divinations. That's a particularly um, advanced technique. There are other auditory um, techniques that are much more basic, like, for instance, you could go to a public space. Um, This is the one that I call people. Um, And you ask your question out loud and then listen for the next thing that is said, for whatever the next thing is that you hear in that public place, and that's the answer to your question. So that's much more straightforward. You have... uh, a question and an immediate answer. But then, of course, you have to figure out what that answer means. And we should get into that later about how to use free association in order to figure out what your divinations mean. But visual or um, techniques could include something as simple as the one that I talked about earlier, opening up a book and pointing your finger at a selection. Or it could be something as advanced as staring into water until an answer surfaces. That's what you call scrying. And that's quite an advanced technique. I find it very difficult. If I do a scrying um, technique in a semi-dark room, look at the water from an angle, it might work for me. But it's not always something that works. Hearing can be as simple as listening. Sure. Well, let me ask you about the scrying. When you're looking into the bowl, are you literally supposed to see something in the bowl, or does the bowl trigger an idea to pop into your head, or maybe it depends on the person? I think it depends on the person. However, my understanding of how people who really can scry well scry is that they they use peripheral vision, so they're not focused on the surface of the water. They're allowing their... Um, vision to be widen and they look through the water into the water under the water around the water but they're not looking at the water specifically it's not a it's an it's a much more meditative focus it's not focused it's unfocused and actually mm-hmm. people who are good at scrying they see things 
whereas I see okay. things once in a while. But I'm not visual in my divination. In fact, I think for a long time I believed that I wasn't very psychic because I wasn't visual. When I realized that there were other ways to tap into my inner wisdom, namely the auditory and the kinesthetic, I went, oh, not all of us have to be visual. So mm-hmm. the kinesthetic, I think, is one that's available to almost everybody to a certain degree, and we can learn to be better at it. Because what it is is a, a paying attention to our vibes or our gut feelings. So, for instance, one of the techniques in my books is called hands. In my book, is called hands and feet. And what you do is you ground and center, and then you just feel where your hands want to reach or your feet want to take you. And then you have to interpret what that journey means or what that grasping for something means. So that's, you can act. So those are, then there's a certain techniques where you act out kinesthetically. You're concerned by either making a sculpture or doodling, for instance. And the doodling, um, I call it painting and drawing technique, is really fun because you just let your hand move across the paper in the way that it wants to. And then after a while you start seeing that you're actually drawing some sort of image or images, and then you outline those image or images, and those are the answers to your question. And then finally you can... Yeah, and finally you can use a trance state, as you said before, that's brought on by ecstatic dancing or meditation as a gateway to your inner wisdom. So there are many, in my book there are 40 different techniques, one-third of which are visual, one-third are auditory, and one-third are kinesthetic. And so it ha- it's a broad range of techniques, and if one or two work for the reader, then my book has done its job. If you're someone who likes novelty and you want to use different ones every week, then it's doing its job in a different way. Okay. Um, well, you did you want to say something about the free association? Yes, because since these are these divinations come up with different kinds of um, answers than what we're normally what we normally find in tarot or I Ching or in runes, because these these techniques don't come up with pre-programmed answers. Like in tarot, you know, the death card means endings, or the the tower means some sort of massive change. Well, if you come up with um, a bee buzzing in your ear, you have to figure out what that means. So what I've done is add a a couple of pages about how to use free association in order to draw out the personal associations that you have with either the image or the word or the symbol or the feeling that is your oracular outcome. Because oftentimes these images, symbols, and metaphors are pretty poetic or dreamlike, and they're not necessarily direct or clear. So free association is a really good way to figure out what you think, what you believe your divination means. So here's how you do it. You Let's assume that you have an image that you have uncovered in your divination, and you can't figure out what it is. To interpret its meaning, well, all you have to do is pose one of the questions that I suggest in the book and just keep freely associating with that question. You ask this question over and over again until you hit upon an answer that rings true for you. So, for instance, you could ask, what associations do you have with that image? Or how does this image relate to you? Or what links does this image have to your oracular question? Or just simply, what does this image mean? And you'll know that you've discovered the meaning of your oracle when the answer resonates with you, when it it feels right. And for some people, that resonance will be an aha. And for some people, it will be some sort of yes, um, a visual yes, or a feeling that it just clicks. So once again, if you're auditory, it will probably be aha. 
if you're visual, you'll see something that tells you that it's that's the answer. And if you're kinesthetic, it'll just feel right. So in any case, you'll know that you've understood your oracular image when you have this feeling of resonance. Hmm. Okay. Well, and and I was going to ask you if dreams uh, played a part in this, and and you kind of answered it because um, uh, how you interpret dreams is really very personal too. You know, because exactly. of the uh, the symbols may you know one symbol may mean something different to you than to me, so that would just totally change the interpretation of the dream. Well, dreams is one of my techniques because that's actually where where I started. I was um, in a dream group for 12 and a half years during the my late 20s and through my 30s. And most people don't think about dreaming as divination, but it's an absolutely wonderful way to do divination. You ask your question as you're falling asleep and remind yourself that you will remember your dream. And then in the morning, you write down your dream and you interpret it from the perspective of the question that you've asked. And it's really remarkable what your inner wisdom will bring to you during the time that you're asleep while you're dreaming. It's pretty amazing. Well, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw you a curve here, and, sure. and I give you permission ahead of time that you can just laugh <laughs> at the question and not answer it if you don't want to. Um, I don't, you know, just listening to you, um, I, I've thought uh, she must have used the this uh, toolkit here that she's put together to try to figure out what's in store for us with our beloved president. And um, I guess I, <laughs> and I guess I just wonder, um, have you? No, I'm serious. Half, you know, half serious, half kidding. Um, any uh, any divinations uh, come up in terms of, you know, is he gonna, is he gonna um, play out his four years, or are we gonna get an impeachment? I don't know. Have you had any thoughts on uh, how things are gonna shift and change? I've had lots of thoughts, but I have done no divinations about it because I I personally believe, especially from my dream group experience, that we, unless we are specifically asked by someone to do a divination, that in our divinations we pretty much come up with answers that are personal for ourselves. So, for instance, in a dream, if you dream about anyone except for those people who are daily presence in your life, like a spouse or a, ch- a child who's at home or a, a parent that's living with you and you're taking care of. All of those people in your dreams are actually aspects of yourself. And I think that's true in other sorts of divinations as well. So if I dreamt about my high school math teacher, Mr. Pedley, who was my favorite teacher. In fact, I even went to college as a math major, which is totally insane. (laughs) I ended up as a music major. But if I dreamt about him, it probably would have to do with something that has to do with either teaching, because he was a great teacher, my teaching, or it would have to do with numbers in some way, you know, maybe my finances, but it wouldn't have to do with Mr. Pedley. And I think that's true in other divinations as well, that we really get answers that are personal for ourselves. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure there are people who are psychic enough to ask questions (laughs) that are beyond that and can tell you a lot better than I can what's going to happen with this crazy president. But I have done no attempts to figure that out. I'm just hoping it's over soon. I hear you. Uh, well, you know, the only problem I, I, I will I will admit to you that the psychics I talked to before the election were all wrong. Oh my <laughs> um, gosh! So it, so you know, I it, it makes you think um, how much our person uh, you know our personal opinion maybe factors into things as well. Oh, absolutely. You know? um, yeah, 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway. Um, well, Nancy, is there anything else um, that maybe you'd like to share that I hadn't thought to ask? And, uh, and of course, we want to know about your website uh, or if you have any classes coming up anytime soon. Um, you know, please uh, take the next uh, two or three minutes here. Well, yes, I am going to be teaching classes. I, I'm hoping that I will be at the Women of Wisdom Conference in February and perhaps at PantheaCon. I'm looking forward to both of those conferences. And I just was out in your neck of the woods at the Goddess Spirit Rising Conference. That was wonderful. And the, then I came back, and the next weekend I was at the Women in Spirituality Conference in Rochester, Minnesota, and they were such different conferences, but they both were wonderful. The Rochester conference had 750 people, and so my workshop had, I think, 65, which was wonderful. And I'm teaching a class right here in Madison, and it's making me realize that using oracles is really a process for creating the life that you want to live. You can use the oracles to ask the questions that you need to ask and then find the actions that you want to take by asking what is my next action to create this life that I want. And so I've been thinking that the next book I write is going to be about a process of how to use oracular understanding to create, create the life that we want. And I'm already starting to write about it. It's really exciting. It sounds like it. It sounds, uh, sounds very interesting. Um, and, and your website, um, what is yes. it, Mama's, mamasminstrel.net, is yes. that right? Yes, that's, it's still mamasminstrel.net until December. It's going to become worldyouroracle.com in December because that's more who I am. Uh, I started out in the goddess spirituality movement as more a singer than a, a writer. But over the years, I've become a writer. I, I created Chants for the Queen of Heaven, which is a compilation of goddess um, chants from all over the world um, back in the 90s and that's that was how I started to do workshops and go around the country and um, work mostly with um, with Unitarian Universalists but also with other goddess spirituality people but in the last you know 10 years I've become much more of a, a writer I write for um, Sage Woman Magazine, a, a column there every quarter, and I also blog for Feminism and Religion, and I used to blog for Tikkun Daily, and I'm hoping to start blogging, I will start blogging for Pagan Square, because that's a good place for me to get the word out about divination and how wonderful it is for creating the life you want to have. I like that. I like that idea. It's uh, it's an important subject, and it gives us another tool uh, in our toolkit. You know, because I think if we are going to change ourselves uh, and change the world, uh, we have to start doing things differently. Uh, you know, we Absolutely. have to start making things habits uh, that maybe we only do occasionally now. You know, they have to become routine, almost like brushing our teeth. Uh, and then, uh, and as we change ourselves, I think we, you know, thereby we sort of, uh, you know, shift the world and the energy uh, into what it is, yeah, we, we want to create. Um, well, Nancy, it has been fun, and uh, and I love your topic, and uh, I know we, we had a, a, a few uh, false starts, but I'm glad yeah. we, you know, like we like we said, three's a charm. Uh, so for That's any of right. our listeners out there who uh, thought you were going to be on before now and we had to reschedule, uh, we apologize for that inconvenience. But, you know, you got to hear her tonight. Uh, and it was uh, a great uh, great conversation. Thank you. Uh, yes. Thank you so much. Thank and uh, best thank of luck you, Karen. with it the book. Thank you, Karen. It was wonderful. Yeah, the world is And I would oracle. imagine the, uh, the book is in all the usual places, right? It is. Um, you can go to Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Google. It's all there. Yep. Enjoy okay. it, people. Well, yeah. 
All right. Well, thank you for all the wonderful tips that uh, uh, that you gave tonight uh, in the interview as well. I'm sure folks can, uh, you know, that will just be the tip of the iceberg. Then they'll have to buy the book to learn more. <laughs> thank you very much, Karen. It was fun to talk to you. All right. Uh, and good luck with everything. Thank you, Nancy. Good night. Good night. And now a word from Laura Perry. The Minoans of ancient Crete, an egalitarian society where women were honored, where the sacred feminine was revered, where peace and prosperity reigned for centuries. Hi, I'm Laura Perry, and I'd love to help bring the ancient Minoans to life for you. Explore Minoan spirituality with my books, Labyrinth and Horns, and Ariadne's Thread. Embrace your creative side with the Minoan Coloring Book and discover the wonders of divination with the Minoan Tarot. You'll find all these at Amazon and other good online and local bookstores. Find out more on my website, lauraperryauthor.com. And if you want to hear more from Laura Perry, uh, just put her name in the search box um, that you see uh, on Blog Talk. Um, Put Laura Perry, Voices of the Sacred Feminine, and you will uh, be able to listen to uh, some interviews I've done with Laura. Uh, Very interesting stuff, especially if you're interested in the Minoans. Uh, Now, I mentioned before that I wanted to tell you a little bit about Joe Carson's other book, Celebrate Wildness, and I'll do so by way of um, Dana Corby, um, who writes for The Rant and Raven. Uh, Here's what Dana had to say about Joe Carson's book, Celebrate Wildness. She said, When people wonder aloud how the Wicca of Southern California became so much more nature-oriented and wild than the British traditions from which it arose, the one factor they don't take into account but should is feriferia. Feriferia, a word Fred Adams coined from Greek roots meaning wilderness festival, is a pagan tradition unlike any other. Based on Fred's visions of the divine feminine, the sacredness of Eros, and the potential for intentional communities that truly do no harm to anything, it also draws upon themes familiar to Wiccans such as sacred landscapes, prehistoric beliefs, and the fairy faith. Fred intended that Feriferia should lead the world into a paradisal future in which freedom, eros, and play are the core values, where that built by human hands merges seamlessly into the wild and the fae romp among us. Celebrate Wildness is a unique, exquisite, and profound book. It created in me a sort of homesickness, a wistfulness for the idealist I was. We all were, back when we and the world and the magic were all young and fresh. Though it's a short book at only 115 art-laden pages, don't expect to read it quickly. Take your time and let it sink into your subconscious. What bobs to the surface will be wondrous. Celebrate Wildness is an oversized, hardbound book on heavy paper, and it's available for $45 from feriferia.org. And I'll spell that for you. It's F-E-R-A-F-E-R-I-A dot org. Well, um, thank you, folks, uh, for tuning in tonight. Uh, I'll be with you again um, very soon with a with a brand new show. And for those of you who knew I was uh, giving presentations, uh, four or five of them, uh, over the last couple months down here in Southern California and um, were disheartened a bit because uh, you don't live in the area and you couldn't hear my talks, um, we didn't actually get to video all of those. So I don't think they're going to be up on YouTube. But what I've decided to do uh, so that you will be able 
people to hear the talks is I will simply give those talks again here on Blog Talk uh, on Voices of the Sacred Feminine. And rather than having a guest that night that I'll interview, I will just give the talk to you, my dear listeners, and you will be able to uh, grab a cup of tea or a glass of wine or uh, a snack and sit back and uh, just give a listen. So, um, you know, I think that's probably the best way to go, and then uh, you don't miss a thing. Uh, well, that about does it for me tonight. Uh, here in Southern California, we are sweltering in the heat. Uh, I've been sitting here with a cold glass of ice water with a fan on, and I have to tell you, I can't wait for sweater weather. And I'm sure uh, a lot of you feel exactly the same. So uh, I hope you have a wonderful Samhain, and uh, I hope wherever you are, uh, you are uh, enjoying uh, the seasons, and uh, I hope you have a wonderful holiday uh, ahead. And again, thank you for your listener loyalty, and uh, we'll get together again soon right here on Wednesday nights at Voices of the Sacred Feminine. Uh, please uh, remember to hit the follow button so you uh, you know get news of each new show. Uh, when it airs, in case you're not on my email list. And uh, if you would, please share the link uh, with your friends, family, and colleagues uh, so that they, too, can learn about all the various subjects under that, uh, that huge goddess umbrella. All right. Uh, thank you, dear listeners, and uh, good night. <laughs>